Welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast created to enlighten, inspire, and inform those who work in or depend on the world's most important endeavor, agriculture. Here's your host, Damian Mason. Greetings, friends. Damian Mason joining you on the Business of Agriculture, brought to you by Harvest Profit. Harvest Profit is a software solution that you can use to make your agricultural enterprise more profitable. Manage your inputs, your outputs, all the dollars and the cents, the things that make a business a business. And your agricultural enterprise is indeed a business. Check out HarvestProfit.com, the sponsor of the Business of Agriculture. Okay, got a great show for you today. We're not going to make a long show. It's going to be a rather compressed show because I am... I'm giving you the seven, the seven items, the seven things that COVID revealed about agriculture. Okay, I'm talking about this whole crazy coronavirus response, the government reaction, the consumer reaction, the marketplace reaction, and what it has done to us, what it has meant for us in agriculture, because indeed it has had a pretty big impact, but it's also revealed stuff. In other words, what it has taught us and what it has shown us about our industry, that's what we're covering today. I also want to tell you uh, a little later on the show about something big that I'm launching, which is why I I have been a little delinquent. These episodes usually drop every Monday, and uh, I was working on some other stuff, got a little waylaid, and that's why we're uh, a few days late. Apologies, please don't shoot me. Okay, so something big I'm working on is called the Business of Agriculture Success Group. Remind me to get to that. Let's talk about the the seven things that COVID and the reaction has revealed about the business of agriculture. First and foremost, the fear factor. You know, I talk about this in my book, Food Fear, which is all about the business of agriculture. I encourage you to pick it up if you haven't. But don't don't buy it just because I'm telling you to. I want you to hear me out about what COVID revealed about our consumer marketplace. Fear is the most primal and basic of all human instincts. It's what kept us from being eaten by saber-toothed tigers. But isn't it remarkable how it is used by those in power to control people or get the desired outcome that they obviously seek. Or it is used by media to to get people to tune in. You see, base level human instinct. We're very visual, we're very emotional, and we're also prone to fear. What did COVID reveal uh, to us about the business of agriculture? All right, if we have an E. coli outbreak and one person, one person uh, becomes sick in Colorado, oh my God, the media goes crazy that we're all going to die and then the masses tune in. I don't know how. In the era of everyone has their own phone, you'd say, why do they care what CNN says? Well, because CNN also has apps and sends stuff and Apple News. If you ever watch what the feed is on Apple News, it's hardly what you'd call uh, definitely rational or uh, unbiased news feed. It's not really a news feed. It's agenda feed. Humans are emotional beings. They give in to fear. COVID revealed that humans are even more fear prone than we thought. Okay, we know that they freak 
freak out and throw away all their spinach when there's an E. coli outbreak in Colorado because of spinach. The person in Florida that just bought their spinach from a roadside stand decides all spinach has E. coli. It doesn't make any sense at all because it turns out it's traced to a particular farm or particular processing facility somewhere in Colorado. doesn't matter. Humans go with fear. The likelihood of dying of a foodborne contaminant in the United States of America is in the one thousandths, ten thousandths of percent. Do you understand that? It's less than like one ten thousandth of one percent. More people die of lightning strikes. I mean, it's, it's ungodly, the number of people that don't die. Again, I cover it in my book. But the point is, you're not going to talk a fear-prone, fearful individual into logically understanding anything because they are riddled with fear and emotion. What coronavirus has taught us and the reaction to that is how explosive, how primal, and how powerful fear is. You see... Everyone got scared that they're going to die of a virus that so far has killed about 180,000 people. And that's actually fudged in numbers and a country of 333 million. Remember what we always do. We always go with the, uh, the numerator, not the denominator. It's, it's a very, very, very small fraction of a percent. But what we learned is that fear still controls the masses and fear still drives behavior more than any other thing. There's an old thing in a literature, uh, I'm sorry, in a, in a book that I read, uh, it's called The 48 Laws of Power, that talks about the fact that most humans will do 10 times the effort to avoid pain than they will to seek pleasure. You see, generally, it's all about avoidance of fear. Point number one, what COVID revealed about ag is that we still are dealing with a, anybody that wants to create power can do so by inducing fear. So what am I talking about in ag? All of our adversaries, for instance, look at the lawsuits. Have you been exposed to Roundup herbicide? You see, everybody that works against our industry uses fear as the motivator. Factory farms are killing you. Big ag is poisoning you. Uh, and and even if you uh, and even if you are trying to live healthy, they're putting odors and emittents into the air that are probably contaminating you and your family. It's all about fear. It's not based on fact. Number two thing: supply chain tightness, supply chain breakdowns. What did we discover with the COVID, and what did it reveal about agriculture? Well, clearly, once we had a couple of meat plants shut down, I shot a video about this. You might remember with my paper towel squeezing on it. When we lost a plant, when we lost a beef processor, a hog processing plant, what did we then see? We saw that our supply chain is so absolutely dialed in that when we have a breakdown, and it didn't break down, it just got squeezed, right? But what we learned is that this thing... One little tightness thing somewhere. It's the old thing like an Indy car. I love Indianapolis 500 racing. Those cars are so dialed in that if the fuel only comes in at 88% of what it should and through one injector, of course the engine is all messed up because it's used to being so dialed in, so in tune that 100% uh, efficiency is what they're looking for in terms of the, the flow, etc. That's how we are in ag. We're like an Indy car. We are so amazingly good that our supply chain breakdown, supply chain, uh, I'm sorry, crimp uh, had really big, really big results on the end, on the end of that, right? When we saw the consumer all of a sudden uh, doesn't have uh, the pork chops that they thought they would because of the processing facility in Sioux Falls being shut down. Okay. 
What did we also learn? What did COVID reveal about the business of food and agriculture? Consumers flight to comfort when there is tumult. Okay, uh, humans generally uh, get pretty pretty large, right? They get a little they get a little out there. They get a little crazy when things are good. Like uh, they're going to try new things, which they don't normally do. Most people don't do different very well. Most people don't do change very well. But when things are good, sure they're out there flying high, trying new things, talking about the new kale pomegranate recipe. But when when things got tight, what did they do? You went to the grocery store, and so did I, and I noticed that a lot of things that are processed food, frosted flakes, Pop-Tarts, ice cream, simple, comfortable pleasures, that's what people turned to. Turns out that their comfort level is very, very important to them, and they go to comfort food. So we learned that in times of tumult, when the consumer's under duress, comfort food matters. They went right to the stuff that they had with their mom and their grandma when they were kids, right? That's maybe not exactly the case, but we noticed that their flight to comfort was absolutely dead on from a consumer standpoint, the known is what it is. So what can we do as a business? We can, if you have to sell something, let's say you have to sell milk, why wouldn't you then take the approach milk, as good as it's always been? Milk, just like when you had a bad day and your mom poured it in a tall glass and handed you a cookie. You see, Right now, we still have people that are really shook up. We still have people that are convinced that coronavirus is going to kill them. I'm not getting into the political standpoint of this and how it's being used and politicized and uh, media hyped to sell advertising or even bigger conspiracy theory that uh, there's a lot of medical companies are going to make billions and billions of dollars off of this. So, of course... I've got my stance on this because I'm a dairy farm guy. I'm kind of a herd immunity guy. There I said it. Sorry. But the point I'm going to make to you is, yes, all I believe that herd immunity is the answer when it comes to viruses. I'm going to tell you that the issue on this for consumers and for the business of agriculture is quite simply that our consumers flight to comfort. We talked about fear. I spent a lot of time on fear because, again, I believe that's the biggest driving force. I believe that's the most base level human instinct, and it drives so much behavior. It's fear of failure. It's fear of the unknown, and in this case, it's a fear of a virus. And what we found about with food a long time ago, it's fear of, I don't want to die from the food. And you're not even going to do that in the United States of America. We have the safest food supply on earth in history, but it doesn't matter. So what I'm telling you about convenience, <clears throat> I'm sorry, about comfort is that comfort drives the consumer. And I believe we're going to be here for a while because it's going to be a while before this shook consumer, this this shaken consumer is going to be ready to go and to try big new things. Remember, I'm always about value added, but I think we're going to be a while. I think we're going to be another year before the consumer really is ready to get out there and uh, buy a lot of you know, new food products. Really, there's a chance right now to be uh, selling comfortable food. Campbell's soup flew off the camp, uh, which brings me to my next point. Convictions and beliefs, let alone preferences. You know what? Everyone uh, that tried to say that they were vegetarian, I've always questioned those numbers. There's not 5 to 10% of the consumer base that's a vegan. It's about one half of 1%. It's very hard to be a vegan. There's not 5 to 10% of the consumer base that reported 5 to 8% try and claim that they are vegetarians or they identify as a vegetarian. Of course, we all know that in the United States right now, you can identify as whatever the hell you want because, you know, we, we don't judge anybody. We're not allowed to do that. We're not allowed 
allowed to say that somebody is a male or a female, what bathroom you want to use, what race you are. It doesn't matter whatever you want to identify as. So we got 5 to 8% of the population that claims they, ve- they identify as a vegetarian. So if you went to the stores in the first month or two after this whole lockdown in mid-March, guess what? Those convictions and beliefs flew off the shelf as fast as normal food that people with their convictions and beliefs had never bought one month and two months and three months prior. I'm talking about meat. I'm talking about potatoes. I'm talking about non-vegan crap. I'm talking about real food. It turns out that when there was a little bit of duress, when there's a little bit of stress, when there's a little bit of I'm concerned, what they go with? Their convictions flew out the window. We saw this in 2008, 2009 with the economy slowing down, and by 2010-11, organic food that had been on an absolute ascent plateaued then declined. Why? Because when folks get a little squeezed for money, their convictions or beliefs do not matter as much. Remember, you're always more willing to throw a bunch of money into the collection plate when things are good and buy your salvation. Things are bad, get a little more skimpy about what you're putting in the collection plate. Food is a religion. That's why I just made that reference. You can disagree with me on that. But in developed countries, affluent countries, well-off countries like the United States of America and Canada, food is a religious decision in many ways. They talk about what they eat. They get together and they carry on about how they're better than other people because they only buy certain food that's better for the earth or better for the farmer or better for their kids or better for the bees or whatever it is. Those convictions and beliefs went out the window when there is a concern there might be a shortage. Which brings me to my next point, what coronavirus revealed about the business of agriculture how resilient we are, how amazingly, awesomely resilient we are because there were really no shortages. Did stuff fly off the shelf? Yes. Toilet paper and cleaning and disinfectant and meat for a little while and other items. But man, did we show our productive capacity, which generally the consumer does not care about because generally the consumer is never without. But we demonstrated our productive capacity. And when we demonstrate our productive capacity, Even when we had to hold back hogs and work around all sorts of supply chain issues and facilities being closed, the consumer did not go without. Oh, yeah, there was a little bit of squeakiness there for a while. Yes, food banks got hit. Yes, we had some. But in general, in our amazing North American agricultural food system, we showed our resilience. It didn't take us two years we didn't have. We don't have people standing on the street looking for a, a cup of broth. No, we had a little tightening for a while, and we responded as we always do with our productive capacity. And we also showed that we are very resilient. Small processors hopped up and are now at booked up capacity. I can't get a butcher date down the road for me at my butcher for next year. We know <clears throat> that other other processors came in for that. We know that production ramped up. We know that we figured things out, our resilience, and that is a big strength. If I had to defend the business of agriculture, the first thing I would do is say, look at what we just went through. While there is so much tumult, while there is so much craziness going on, we kept you fed. 
Sixth thing that the coronavirus revealed about the business of agriculture and food. What we learned from it. Consumer ignorance is even greater than we once thought. You know, I never gave a lot of credence. I never gave a lot of credibility. I never gave a lot of credit to anybody on the anti-ag side, other than that they I say they're good fighters, that they are really good at raising money and opposing what we do. But what they've also done is seeded such such animosity toward us, capitalizing on ignorance. That's what the Humane Society of the United States does, PETA, Environmental Working Group. What they do is they go, they know that the consumer base is extremely ag ignorant. They know that they have not ever produced one calorie of food. So they go to those people and they tell them a story. And it's a story that's predicated on fear and it's predicated on ignorance. And then they use that against us. Okay. It's an old script. I've been using it for several years, decades even. What we learned is that the consumer is even more ignorant than we think. And we have this problem in agriculture. We always say, we got to educate the consumer. And I say, well, what if the consumer doesn't want educated? And the reality is I'm not sure. I'm not sure still that even when they were scared that they still really care that much about what happens in our industry. Do you think the derechos in Iowa that flatten the fields and smash grain bins like a giant smashing beer cans, did it, did it, did it really resonate with them what this might mean? And the answer is, of course not. They've never taken an economics class. They've never taken an agricultural economics class. They've never thought about the food supply and the food supply chain and the processing. They've never thought about any of this. And the reason is they've never had to. You've never thought about the electronics inside of your iPhone and how they work better than they did 10 years ago. Maybe you have, but chances are you use the product, you enjoy the product, you don't really understand the inner workings of the product. That's how we are in food and ag. We get it, they don't. I even was shocked, though. I, who understand and don't give a lot of credit to our consumer for understanding what we do, nor do I think we can absolutely educate them. You might remember I started going to the airwaves as quickly as possible, was on Fox News, was on media, was on social media, attempting to explain some of the things that I thought were basics. When you had consumers on TV screaming that farmers should be prosecuted and arrested for wasting food during times like this. I'm talking about, of course, the fact that vegetables had to be plowed under because there was nowhere for them to go because our entire system changed. And then the milk, they had to get dumped. And I explained that repeatedly. They should give that milk to a food bank. Well, get, show me the food bank that can take in an 8,000-gallon tanker truck of unpasteurized uh, raw milk, and by golly, we'll, we'll, we'll ship it over there. The ignorance of our consumer base, unfortunately, was revealed, and it revealed then an animosity. <clears throat> when you heard then, and the cause groups love to foster this, the Environmental Working Group and everybody that opposes our modern agricultural food system, capitalized on this and said things like, hey, you see see what they're doing over there? This is why that factory farm doesn't work for you. This is why that industrial agricultural system is bad. And you and I both know 
that it's not bad. It's very, very good for all of us. It's very good for the outcomes that we all get from it. So the point that I'm making is quite simply, consumer ignorance was revealed to be even greater than many of us thought. Are we going to educate them out of it? I doubt it. Now, it did make the positive, 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 one little positive. It did make many of our consumers realize that they're more vulnerable without us because they've never had to think about a time when there wouldn't be food. Hence the gardening. You couldn't get seed. Now you can't get jars and lids from the bowl company for mason jars. You know, a bunch of people said, I'm going to buy a beef from a local processor. I'm going to raise my own food. And of course, we know that this won't last long. We know that raising food is very difficult for many people, and, and they're probably not going to stick with it. But the ignorance was revealed, and it did actually change their change their behavior in a remarkable way. Number seven thing that the coronavirus revealed about ag, and before we say that, I would be remiss, and I've got to tell you, forgot to tell you, this Business of Agriculture podcast is brought to you by my good friends at Harvest Profit. Nick Horub started this company because he thought, I want to create a better way for ag people, for farms, for ag enterprises to manage their business. So I created Harvest Profit. You can get a 14-day free trial. Go to harvestprofit.com. There are customers in 26 states and four Canadian provinces using Harvest Profit. You should check him out on LinkedIn. His name is Nick Horub. H-O-R-O-R-O-B, and he's always got great information out there. You should check him out. Number seven thing that the coronavirus revealed about the business of agriculture, our efficiency is amazing. We know that. We're great at producing food. That's why we've only got, you know, let's face it, a few hundred thousand farms that produce the bulk of all agricultural product here in the United States of America. We know that we're good at what we do. We know that there's less than 1% of the population that's doing the farming out here. We know that we're efficient. In fact, I always say that we sell our efficiency to our detriment because the consumer doesn't care how efficient we are. They care about themselves and their feelings. Hence my points here today about the fear factor. But what we discovered is that we're so damn good at making what we make, as long as things work in the distribution system as they always have. Turns out our commodity mindset, and yes, you've heard me talk about this before, we're not a specialty food-oriented industry. That's on the fringe, right? That's niche, but that's also where the profits are. A lot more profits per pound, a lot more profits per gallon over there on the niche. Well, anyway, from the commodity standpoint in particular, what did we learn? That when there is a big change in rapid, rapid fashion to the distribution system and to the marketplace, how it is consumed, when the patterns of consumption are altered quickly, Oh my God, does that throw us into a little bit of a free fall? We struggled during March, April, and May, and we are starting to make the adjustments when restaurants closed and all the stuff that went through restaurant distribution that was also packaged for institutional and restaurant sizes. Man, was that hard to change. Now, these are issues of manufacturing. Former factory worker here, you know, I get that. The line was set up to run two foot by two foot ceiling tiles at the factory I worked at. When we had to switch over to one foot by one foot ceiling tiles, it took a few days to adjust those kinks, right? Because you're set up to run quickly at what you make every day. That's how we are in agriculture. We're really good at doing what we do. 
man, when those consumption patterns changed and they changed quickly, things like this, 55% of your groceries, I'm sorry, 55% of all food consumed until March 11th, when things changed, March 13th, 55% of all food was consumed outside of the home. 55% consumed outside of the home. That was the normal pattern. And all of a sudden things changed, right? So we're really darn good at it until things change. Our efficiency is amazing until consumption patterns are altered quickly. So what's that tell me? There's probably opportunity for those that can bend quickly to adjust to the current marketplace. I do not believe this will be the last thing like this we will see. What have certain political leaders discovered? That they can control the masses. What has the media discovered? That they can get a tremendous amount of paying advertising when people are staying home and staying scared. I'm sorry, um, staying home and staying safe. Uh, or staying tuned and staying scared is the real reality of it. I believe we're going to see things like this again. I don't believe that our marketplace is going to bounce right back into the same old thing. 21% of small businesses, according to the Wall Street Journal and the NFIB, National Federation for Independent Business, will never be in business again. Do you hear that? Never be in business again. We've lost restaurants. We have lost bars. We have changed the dynamic. Now, I'm not going to pull this thing of unprecedented, unprecedented. Oh, we'll never be like it's a paradigm shift. I'm telling you that this whole deal has changed the marketplace, and it's going to be a long while before things bounce back to what they were. Movie theaters. If your product is sold in movie theaters, let's say it's popcorn, we will not see the kind of popcorn sales that we saw before pandemic ever again. Why? Because where's popcorn sold? You can say, oh, it's a good, convenient snack at home. It's sold at movie theaters. It is sold at events. Events are off. Movie theaters are closing. Movie, the movie experience has changed forever. We will not see certain products sell like they did before this. It's just the reality. Seven things that agriculture has learned. COVID has revealed about our industry. Number one, the power of fear. That fear is the biggest driving force for humans, and it always has been, and it probably always will be. And those that want power and control over a consumer, over a marketplace, or over a sector, use fear. Use fear as a weapon. Use fear as a tool. Number two, supply chain tightens and tightness and breakdowns were revealed in fast fashion. And we saw, man, we're a little more vulnerable than we thought. Turns out that we're not going to have any carbon dioxide because carbon dioxide is a byproduct of ethanol. Well, you know, what? we're not making ethanol because nobody's driving and the gas prices came way down. Wait a minute. We need carbon dioxide to go and make soft drinks because people are drinking and beer. People are drinking more beer than they used to because they're sitting at home doing that. Wait a minute. Supply chains are all interrelated. And we learned that one little kink over here creates a lot more problems downstream over there. Number three thing that we learned that there's a flight to comfort. When folks are under duress, they go with what is comforting, right? So we should capitalize on that as an industry. Again, milk and cookies makes you feel good. It makes you feel safe. It makes you feel like you're at home. If you have a product to sell, capitalize on that. There's a flight to comfort right now to the known. The known. Number four, convictions and beliefs, let alone their preferences, fly out the window. Those that were all about organic didn't care one hoot in hell about organic when it got to where they thought, oh, my God, there's not going to be any meat. I'm going to starve. They bought whatever they could. Oh, I'm a vegan. No, they bought they bought meat. They didn't buy uh, Beyond Meat. They did not buy the fake stuff. They bought the real stuff. 
convictions and beliefs fly out the window when there's uh, a time of stress. <clears throat> Number five thing we learned is that ag bent, but we did not break. Our resilience was proven, and we should sell that whenever we have to deal with Washington, D.C. We should talk about our tremendous resilience and what we did when we had to. We stepped up to the plate, and we kept America moving. We kept America fed. We kept America strong because we are damn resilient. You know what? A lot of these other food systems that are being touted by our adversaries, would they have held up this well? Would they have had the productive capacity to do this? I'm not saying big versus small. I'm talking about when we want uh, when we have organizations that want to legislate to us how we produce. Cory Booker and Elizabeth Warren teaming up on legislation to limit farm size. Is that really what you want? Is that really what you want? More government control because how's that worked for everything else during all this? Oh, like like virus testing? Oh, like allocation of uh protective gear? That's how we go to market and how we argue our benefit is that our resilience is proven because we do not have un we don't have unnecessary regulation. Number six thing, consumer ignorance even greater than we thought. When I saw consumers on TV demanding that dairy farmers in Wisconsin be arrested for dumping milk, I really, really was shocked even myself. I knew that we had an ignorant consumer base. It shocked me because it's even more, more dire than I thought. Number seven. And that's why, the, by the way, how our adversaries use them against us. Number seven, our efficiency is amazing as long as our distribution and our marketplace are all the same. But you alter the consumption patterns as we're greatly done. Things like butter are no longer being eaten. Cheese didn't get eaten as much because you don't go to a Mexican restaurant and put a pound of cheese on. All of a sudden, you're not getting five pounds and ten pound bags of cheese because, after all, they go to restaurants. We discovered that when a consumption pattern alters quickly, man, does it put us into a tizzy. And that is something that I think we must realize is not going to come back like that. Again, I talked about popcorn, movie theaters, certain consumption of certain items is probably forever altered. Make the adjustment. This episode was brought to you by the good people at Harvest Profit, a software solution for your agricultural enterprise. Before we go, I want to tell you about my new offering, my new offering, my new offering for you is the Business of Agriculture Success Group. If you are an agricultural professional looking for a place where you can get some business outlook, some advice, some discussion, and a community, a place to network, straight talk about the business of food and agriculture, and also business points and tips that can help you. We're going to have occasional guest presenters. Where's this all going to happen? Right here online. It's going to be an online forum, an interactive online forum, that I am going to lead with my two co-hosts, Michelle Klieger and Todd Thurman. It's $49 for your first month. It's $99 every month thereafter. You're going to get business input. You're going to get outlook. You're going to get advice. You're going to get sharing, interactive, networking, community. It's a place for insights and information and connection about the business of agriculture. Okay? That's what we're doing here. It's an online community. We're going to meet twice per month. And then we're going to offer you some other options for how you can even do more. 
Go to DamianMason.com and sign up for the Business of Agriculture Success Group. If you have any questions, just send me an email or send me a message on Facebook or on Twitter or on Instagram or wherever you follow me, you can send me a message. It's called the Business of Agriculture Success Group. Our first meeting, our first program online is going to be on September 9th. So please give me a call about this. I would love to have you be part of the group. It's for agricultural professionals looking to grow. Damian Mason, thanks for joining me here on the Business of Agriculture podcast brought to you by Harvest Profit. Till next time, it's the Business of Agriculture. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Business of Agriculture, please share it with your network. Be sure to connect with Damian on LinkedIn, like his Facebook fan page, and follow him on Instagram and Twitter. For speaking inquiries or to purchase Damian's books, Food Fear, or Do Business Better, go to DamianMason.com.